the Bethel Free Baptist Church weekly sermons. The following podcast is part 83 in the series Contending for the Faith. This is the morning service of Sunday the 5th of August 2012, entitled The Glorious Church of Jesus Christ, part 15. And the Bible reading is taken from Luke chapter 22, verses 7 to 20. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. We'd like to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke this morning. Gospel of Luke chapter 22. We continue in our series this morning on contending for the faith. We've been looking, this will be the 15th sermon on the the glorious church of Jesus Christ now in that series, and uh, part four on the the ordinances of the the church. And uh, of course, as we have gone through the matter of the church, we have looked at, of course, the defining of the New Testament church, prospective church, and the present church, and then the design of the New Testament church. We've looked at the organization of that church, the officers of that church, and the ordinances. The last three weeks, we've been looking at uh, believers' baptism, and uh, this morning we turn our direction to the second of those uh, ordinances for the New Testament church, which is the Lord's Supper. We're going to take our reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 22, beginning in verse 7. I invite you to stand with me on the reading of God's precious Word, again beginning in Luke, chapter 22, and verse 7. Then came the day of unleavened bread, when the Passover must be killed. And he sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare us the Passover, that we may eat. They said unto him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? He said unto them, Behold, when you are entered into the city, there shall a man meet you bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in. You shall say unto the good man of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? He shall show you a large upper room furnished. There make ready. They went and found as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. When the hour was come, he sat down and the twelve apostles with him. And he said unto them, With desire I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say unto you, I will not any more eat thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. He took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and brake it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. Father, we thank you again this morning for the time that we have together. We pray now, Lord, that you would just meet with us and be with us, Lord, that by the power of your Spirit that you would take and uh, make uh, alive these words that you preserve for us. Speak to each heart that which is needed here this morning. May you receive all the glory, all the honor. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. As we continue to look at the ordinances of a New Testament church, As I said, we're going to turn our attention to the second of these ordinances, the Lord's Supper. 
I would ask you to remember that in the outset that we defined what we meant by an ordinance. We said a simple def definition was that an, an outward right instituted by divine authority given for perpetual observance. An ordinance does not produce any merit or favor with God. It is a sign, a symbol, a figure of the saving truth of the gospel itself. The divine authority that's given us these ordinances is Jesus Christ himself. And he has given to his New Testament church, which is the seed of authority in this age, these two rites, these two ceremonies, these two ordinances, which we call baptism and the Lord's Supper. He's given them as a symbol, as a picture of the gospel. And he's given them to be observed until he himself returns for that church. Now, of necessity, as we begin to look this morning at this thing called the Lord's Supper, there are times when I may as well say ahead of time, you know, it's not usually our practice and certainly not my desire to try to worry about everybody else's wrongs and straightening everybody else out. But of course, the ordinances are something that are very controversial. Some people think, well, it just doesn't really matter, as we've said before. It doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter how you're baptized or who baptizes you or any of those things. And just as surely many think it doesn't really matter as long as you're genuine. I've heard it so many times. As long as you're genuine when you come to what is called the Lord's table, the Lord's supper, communion table, doesn't really matter as long as you're sincere and genuine in heart. But I say to you, as I have before in all of this, it really does matter. It matters what you think. And sometimes we need to recognize and know. And so I may call a few names this morning that uh, uh, some may not necessarily like, but it's important that we understand. God has given us these two ordinances to his churches, and they're very important. And it's very important that we do them the way that he gave them to us, that they accomplish what he gave them to us for. As we find in our reading this morning, you see, I really would break this down into two areas and, and try to fit everything into, first of all, the instituting of the Lord's Supper and then instructions concerning the Lord's Supper. And we would ask ourselves, first of all, and we've already answered, is who instituted the Lord's Supper? Where did it come from? We see in our Scripture reading that it came from Jesus Christ Himself. He is the one that instituted it. He is the one that began it. He is the one that gave it to us. As we begin to look, we would ask ourselves maybe a second question. Well, if Jesus Christ has given this to us, why did the Lord give it to us in the first place? Why do we do this? Why is it something that we do over and over again until his return? Well, I believe that Jesus said it pretty clearly in our reading there in Luke chapter 22 and in verse 19 when it says, And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. We also find in 
1 Corinthians chapter 11, where we find the greatest amount of information concerning the Lord's Supper after Christ instituting it and it being recorded in three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Here in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as the writing was being given to the church at Corinth and later on now to us in God's preserved word, it says in verse 24, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. Why did the Lord Jesus Christ institute and give to us his church this ordinance called the Lord's Supper, he said in his words, this do in remembrance of me. Now, this is where it's important for us to understand. Just because that we saw when we looked at baptism, just because someone calls it baptism and somehow modifies and fits in with something that they found in Scripture, that doesn't make it New Testament Bible believers baptism. The same thing with the Lord's Supper. Just because somebody puts some bread and some juice or some wafers and some wine or whatever upon the table and calls it the Lord's Supper, I say to you, that doesn't make it the Lord's Supper. See, there's a couple of things that we need to understand on the negative side of this, if you would. Because there are a lot of views out there. There are a lot of people practicing what we call the Lord's Supper in a very unbiblical and unscriptural fashion. There are those that believe in what we termed transubstantiation. It didn't start out being called that, but it later became that known as that because of that which it is declaring. You see, this is the view that is held by the Roman Catholic Church, first of all, uh, they are the ones where that it, it began, uh, as well as many of the breakaways, such as the Eastern Orthodox, the Oriental Orthodox, the High Anglicans in this country, and many others like them. And it teaches that the wafer and the wine that they put before them when they're calling the Lord's uh, Supper, that it literally changes in substance. That's why the transubstantiational it changes in substance literally into the flesh and the blood of Jesus Christ while the appearance of the wafer and the wine remains the same. So that which we see, in other words, they're saying still looks like the wafer and the wine, but that in fact it is changed into the literal body and blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why would they come up with such a view? Well, they use Scripture, like most people do with most of their errors. They take it primarily from the Gospel of John, chapter 6, verse 54, which says, Jesus said, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Now, that one verse they take, and they take this in conjunction with 
what we've just read from the Gospel of Luke and in Matthew and Mark where Christ instituted that Lord's Supper. And they say that that's why that he instituted it. And they build what is, I can call nothing else except a damnable, heretical doctrine that is totally blasphemous to even call it a table that belongs to the Lord Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, that's strong words. Yes, and they're probably nowhere near strong enough because it is a teaching that has led so many astray. It is a teaching where there are many people sitting in, in chairs and pews around the world today that are believing something that has been wrongly taught to them that it's only through God's Word that they'll find the truth. But I assure you, they're not being encouraged to go to God's Word. You see, even the Catholic Church itself, they didn't believe this teaching until somewhere around the ninth century. They existed all those hundreds of years with their church, and they never taught anything like this. But somewhere, somewhere around the ninth century, there were a few that began to teach it until finally, in 1215, the church took it as their church doctrine. So for the 1,200 years prior to that, they hadn't believed such heresies, but it became part of their teaching. We find that this teaching, if you adhere to it, it makes for a continuous sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so therefore it denies the finished work of Calvary. It denies that Jesus Christ finished that sacrifice when he himself hung up on the cross and said, it is finished. You can't perpetually have that sacrifice over and over and over again. I believe that Jesus Christ finished it himself at Calvary. Of course, they also considered this as a sacrament along with some of their other sacraments, they believe it to be essential to your eventual salvation. It is a part of salvation. Jesus Christ said, this do in remembrance of me. They're saying this do so that he can be sacrificed over and over and over again. And if you do this, then hopefully this along with some other things will one day help you to be saved. If the passage in John 6, if it is read completely and in its proper context, it is clear for so many reasons there. Jesus was not inviting his followers to cannibalize his body. He was still there in the flesh at that time. We find that Jesus was using a metaphor just as in the Scriptures I wonder why they don't take the same tone of interpretation when Jesus said, I am the door. Or when Jesus said, I am the vine. You know, these are metaphors that it doesn't, it doesn't take much to figure out that Jesus didn't mean that he was literally a stone door. He was using that metaphor that he is a door, that he is that vine. I thought as I was reading this, <laughs> Wouldn't it do a lot for the doctrines of the Catholic Church if they took this same mode of interpretation when Jesus turned around to Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan. <laughs> this is who they claim to be their first pope. 
It's funny, they don't take that, that he was literally saying that Peter, who they want as their first pope, was the devil himself. But yet, here in this one passage, they build a doctrine off of it, which even if in its own context, if you read down further in that chapter, Jesus himself, even in that chapter, makes it clear that he's speaking spiritually, not physically. We find that this kind of doctrine is a blatant contradiction to so many scriptures. A couple that I'd like to, to read for you is in, of course, Hebrews chapter 10. You cannot believe that the Lord's Supper and transubstantiation has any part of it. In Hebrews chapter 10, we'll look at a few of these verses later, but right now, let me just read verses 10 to 12 for you there. It says, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. What's the next three words in your Bible? Once for all. The offering of his body, one time for all. It says, and every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. The simple truth is Jesus Christ was a once-for-all sacrifice. And repetitious sacrifices, the Bible says, are useless. They gain absolutely nothing. If you look back in the same book in Hebrews chapter 1, and notice what he says there in verse 3. Again, he says, Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when had by himself purged our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, when he had by himself purged our sins, well, if he did it by himself in a once-for-all act on Calvary, how can we continually, continually offer up this sacrifice time and time and time again and it has something to do with the purging of our sins. I'm saying that, folks, it's simply blasphemous to believe such a thing and to call it the Lord's Supper, the Lord's Table. We find that there are others that, though they would not believe in what is known there as transubstantiation, they would hold to what is known as consubstantiation. Now, what's the difference in transubstantiation and consubstantiation? Well, in transubstantiation, the substance is literally being transformed. But in consubstantiation, it's there alongside. This was a view that really, as far as we can tell, began with the Lollards here in Britain. And from somewhere around the 14th century, we find that it was then put forth by Martin Luther in a very similar way after his break with Rome. 
It has similarities with transubstantiation with a few modifications, if you would. In slight variations, it is basically the physical presence of the bread and the, and the wine remaining while a spiritual and mystical presence of Christ's body and blood exists alongside it so that they are both received simultaneously. In other words, they're not saying that the bread and the cup are transformed into the body and the blood, and yet what we see is those substances themselves. They're saying that the bread and the wine are still there, but alongside that, in a spiritual, in a mystical way, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ exists also, and that when you take one, the visible, which you see in the bread and the wine, that you're taking the other also at the same time. Well, that's something that Luther illustrated it this way in his teachings. He used the analogy of a horseshoe or a piece of iron. Some places I've read he used a horseshoe, some places a piece of iron, but either way he was illustrating the same thing that when you take and you place that horseshoe or that piece of iron into a red-hot fire, that while both of them are united and glowing red-hot together, both are still their own separate. You still have the fire and you still have the iron, but Christ is considered to be present in the bread and the wine in the same way that just as that, that iron and that fire are separate, that glow, the red hotness of them two are combined as one. Well, if you begin to look at this in every other way, this, this view, number one, where you come up with something because there's absolutely no Bible anywhere to tell you that such a thing could happen. It's just taking what they had built in John 6, 54 and trying to say, well, it doesn't really change, but it's just still there, and this, this kind of comes alongside of it once these magical words are prayed over it. And then when you take it in, you are literally taking in the body and the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Of course, we said that there are some that would maybe come back from those things, but we've already considered the fact when we consider ordinances that there are many that would consider those things as sacraments. Many of the reformers that are part of the Reformation, they would hold to this view. They see the Lord's Supper as a sacrament that somehow is a means of grace for the believer. Again, there's no biblical basis as we've already looked at of these ceremonies being sacraments of, of themselves, adding to that grace. They're, they are ordinances that have been given for a sign, for a symbol to the church, and that's what the Scriptures bear out. And, of course, we find that there are some that would consider the Lord's Supper to be the Christian Passover. The Christian Passover, this would come from many that would hold to a covenant style of theology that still take the Old Testament covenants as being there for the New Testament church. They would say that the Lord's Supper is the Christian Passover. They would put parallels. In other words, they would say that Israel in the Old Testament is equal to the church of the New Testament that the circumcision of the Old Testament is equal to the baptism of the New Testament. Therefore, that's why you can get infant baptism for many of them. They would say that the Passover of the Old Testament 
is the Lord's Supper of the New Testament? Well, again, I can only simply say to you folks that that kind of teaching is completely erroneous and unscriptural. We are a New Testament church. Every one of our readings, when we look and see where that Jesus Christ instituted this, uh, this supper, this table, every one of them in recording the Lord's Supper, Jesus made it very clear that this cup that we drink, he didn't say just in remembrance, but he said also there that in remembrance is the blood of the New Testament, of the New Covenant. It's affirmed. We just read it there earlier in chapter 11, verse 25 of Corinthians. This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. In his new covenant, there was no need for a Christian Passover. Why? Because the Bible teaches us that we don't need to continue to, to participate in the Passover because Jesus Christ himself, he was the last and final Passover lamb. Jesus Christ is the Christian's Passover. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, ironically following a passage on church discipline, but talking about the need to get that sin out of the church, he says there in verse 7, Purge out, therefore, the old leaven, that ye may be a new lump, as ye are unleavened. For even Christ, our Passover, is sacrificed for us. The Bible calls Jesus Christ our Passover. Jesus Christ instituted the Lord's Supper as an ordinance for his church as a table of remembrance. And as such, when we obey him and participate in this ordinance in a, in a biblical manner, folks, we're not eating his flesh and we're not drinking his blood and we're not somehow hoping that in some way what we're doing will help us to someday obtain salvation in some way. We are remembering Christ, the eternal God, the creator and sustainer of everything that exists. Not a Christ that is created by a priest saying some words over a wafer in a cup and then becoming Christ created over and over again by man. We're remembering Christ whom we worship personally as we worship God in all of his fullness, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit whom we worship him when we come around this table not as some that are committing idolatry by worshiping the bread and the cup. They are taught that these are what is called host, that they themselves are to be worshipped because they themselves are Jesus Christ. It's nothing but idolatry. 
we're remembering Christ. Jesus Christ that came bodily to live a sinless life that we couldn't, to fulfill a law that we couldn't, to offer himself bodily to be broken for us, to be nailed to that cross, to die for our sins as he shed his blood there. A Christ that bodily rose again the third day and who bodily resides in heaven at the right hand of God the Father, interceding on our behalf and who will bodily return for his saints at what we call the rapture. Not one who is bodily present in a wafer and a cup as we come around the table. I say that we're remembering Christ. The Christ who shed his blood as atonement for our sin and that that blood, when sprinkled upon the mercy seat, made full and complete payment for our sin and gave us access into the very holy of holies, into the presence of God himself. Not a blood that is present here within a, a cup at the Lord's table that we can drink in a physical fashion and somehow accomplish anything, let alone our salvation. We find as we look into Hebrews, we had time we could, we could really read several chapters, but let me just give you a few verses to remind you this morning. You see, if you're here today, it's not the Lord's table, which God has given to us as an ordinance, that as we as a church come around it and remember him, that we're proclaiming his death, that it's a picture of that gospel. Let me say, Christians, let us be reminded. Let us be reminded of our salvation. And if you're here today, and if you've counted upon something else, no matter how genuine and sincere that you were, no matter what you were taught, I encourage you, I challenge you from the depths of my heart, look to God's word. Hebrews chapter 9. Notice what the Word of God says, first of all, in verses 11 and 12. The Bible says, But Christ, being come and high priest of good things to come, by a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood, he entered in once into the holy place, having obtained eternal redemption for us. I'm saying to you that Jesus Christ himself, he shed his blood and he entered in once into the holy of holies and he made that sacrifice, that once for all sacrifice for our eternal redemption. Notice down in verse 24, of that same chapter, the Word of God says, For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us, nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entereth into the holy place every year with blood of others. And may I say, as the priest continue to do the same, as this blood over and over again, for well, then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. 
But now, once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And as it is appointed unto men once to die, but after this, the judgment. So Christ was once offered to bear the sins of many, and unto them that look for him shall he appear the second time without sin unto salvation. That's our only hope for salvation. That's your only hope for salvation. And as we as Christians, as the New Testament church, as we come around what we call the Lord's table, that's what we're remembering him, what he has accomplished, what he has done, not what we're doing ourselves here around that table. You see, look over into the next chapter in chapter 10. Notice what he says, beginning in verse 9. Then said he, Lo, I come to do the will, O God, to do thy will, O God. He taketh away the first that he may establish the second. By the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ, once for all, as we read earlier. And every priest standeth daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for our sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. From henceforth expecting till his enemies be made his footstool, for by one offering he hath perfected forever them that are sanctified whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us, for after that he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds will I write them, and their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Now where remission of these is, there is no more offering for sin. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh, and having an high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled with an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. You see, we're remembering Christ. We are remembering Jesus Christ, his great sacrifice that was made once for all, for all who would accept it, not repeatedly sacrificing him again and again every time that we take of some bread and drink of some cup. Jesus Christ, he instituted the Lord's Supper so that his church could participate in this ceremony in this ordinance and in doing so to remember him to remember all that he is all that he has done all that he is doing and all that he's going to do for us it's not a means of salvation that anyone can perform and today why did he give it to the church why do we have the ordinances because even in these ordinances themselves when they are carried out in a biblical fashion, they are a symbol, a picture of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. He did finish the work. 
we remember his body and what he did. We remember his blood that was shed once for all to pay for the sins. There is only one way, for by grace are you saved through faith. The Bible says even that faith, he says, is not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, lest any man should boast. We can't take any credit. It's all of him. But there's only one way to get to God today, and that's through faith. He will forgive you. Jesus Christ has done it all. I can't offer you a wafer and some wine that will help you on your way to salvation. I can invite you to come with the church and take of those things after that work of salvation is done as you can remember then what Christ has done for you but not beforehand. So today, if you're here, you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Oh, don't leave here today with that uncertainty. Don't let it be based on some man-made religion, a man-made thing. Preacher, why are so many people saying so many different things when it's all supposed to be the church? Folks, God's Word, God's way. This was not something, these different forms are not something that God came up with. These churches themselves came up with them along the way as man's ideas began to creep in. There's only one way. That's God's way today. There's only one way of salvation. That's through the finished work of Jesus Christ. You recognize your sins. Remember, as we read there earlier, it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. We will all face God. God says it's not his will that any should perish. It's God's will that you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. So even in this ordinance of the church, we are proclaiming the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what will change your life. And if you haven't, if you haven't responded to that, if you haven't admitted that you're a sinner, if you haven't gone before God and sought forgiveness, not based upon what religion can do for you or any ceremony can do for you, but based upon what Jesus Christ has done for you already, if you haven't done that, then please, please do it today. We're going to sing a song of invitation, and we're going to... Sing a song which, again, I, it really pictures a lot of what we have been talking about here this morning. Maybe if somebody would like to, uh, to relieve Shelley back there. Um, we find that the songwriter in this song talks about Jesus Christ. Uh, he was wounded for you. There on the cross, he was wounded. Gone my transgressions, and now I am free all because Jesus was wounded for me. If you haven't made what Jesus Christ did, if you haven't made it personal to you, then today would you do so? As we sing this song, if you'd like to come, somebody will go aside, pray with you, take God's Word. You see, we're not really here to try to make you a Baptist today. We're not here to make you a church member. We're here to show you how God can make you a Christian how that he can give you eternal life, then that's up to you to find a place to worship, to find a place that God wants you. Today, it's not our desire to just make you part of a group of people, but to make you part of the family of God. So today, if you don't have that assurance, then please come and let someone take the Word of God, answer your questions, show you what you need to do to have that assurance today. I know sometimes it can be embarrassing, admitting that you're a sinner, but guess what? We're all sinners.
It's just that some of us are saved by the grace of God. So today, maybe you need to come and admit that you're a sinner, accept that grace that's, that's yours. Mm-hmm.